word for lampstand. There's actually two kinds that are popular. There's the one that was in the temple. That was uh, God told Moses how to make it. It had seven branches, but that was restricted to the temple. And so later on uh, in celebrating Hanukkah, they added two, uh, an arm on each side. So the menorah uh, was a symbol instituted by God with Moses on Mount Sinai to bring light to the tabernacle and then light to the temple. And so it was lit to bring light. It was used by the Jews for many years. But in 165 BC, Jerusalem was invaded by the Seleucids. And their despicable king desecrated the temple. It outraged the Jews so much that they rose up in revolt and were able to kick them out. They were led by a family called the Maccabees. The most important thing that they had to do then when they got rid of the enemy was to consecrate or rededicate the temple and purify it. They had the temple candlestick, lampstand, but they didn't have enough oil. They had, it had to use consecrated oil and they only had oil for one day. Really not enough for them. And yet they did it anyway. They lit the candle. Did they think it was um, a faithless event? Was it hopeless that it would actually last? They didn't have any assurance from God that it would keep burning, but it did. There's another story in 1 Kings 17 about Elijah the prophet and the widow of Zarephath. The word of the Lord came to him saying, Go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there, for I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath. When he got to the gate of the town, a woman was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Bring me a little water in the vessel so that I may drink. And she was going to bring it. He called to her, Bring me also a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid, go and do as I have said. But first, make me a little cake and bring it to me and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus the Lord God of Israel says, the jar of meal will not be emptied and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went and did as Elijah said, so that she was as well as he and her household ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. I'm sure you know that story. It's a very similar to Hanukkah and the oil not running out. Jesus also refers to this episode when his, he is being challenged and rejected because his love goes out beyond the uh, nation of Israel. And he said, but the truth is there were many widows in Israel at the time of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath and Sidon. Jesus brings this into his preaching to demonstrate who he is. I realized this week, I'm ashamed to say for the first time, that in the New Testament there's a reference to Jesus attending the Hanukkah 
festival. Jesus attended many of the Jewish festivals, the Shabbat, the Passover Tabernacles, and the Feast of Dedication, which is, of course, Hanukkah, when the temple was being rededicated. And immediately after that, the uh, religious leaders challenge him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. So at the time of the festival, Jesus is in the temple for the Feast of Dedication. Jesus had a lot to do with the temple, dedicated there as a baby, left behind by his parents in the temple talking to the elders. He cleansed the temple of the money changers with a handmade whip. And he had a prediction of its destruction, an audacious announcement that he would rebuild it. He said, tear this building down and I will rebuild it in three days. And they said, it's taken our nation 40 years to build it. How will you rebuild it in three days? So, of course, he was talking about himself. And within 40 years, the temple was leveled almost to the ground and has never been rebuilt. And so Jesus replaced the temple. There's a lovely picture of this lampstand on the Ark of Titus and comes up on the coinage of Israel and is now on the shield of Israel. It's iconic for the land of Israel. But Jesus replaced the temple where once people came to the temple to meet with God, now they were to come to him. In the similar way, we light the Advent candles to represent light coming into darkness. It begins by acknowledging that there is darkness. 2020 is a dark year. There's lots going on, a pandemic and political turmoil and economic struggles, our confidence being eroded, being divided as a nation. And there is darkness in ourselves, frustration and discouragement and despair and anguish. And we need to acknowledge it. We need to talk about it. I presided at a funeral yesterday for a young memorial student who used to attend St. Francis who took his life, who battled with mental illness for some years. And more and more we need to talk, to converse, to reach out, to open up, to acknowledge that we might have darkness inside us, besetting sins or temptation, discouragements. And so in Advent we welcome the light, we embrace the light, we make room for the light and do not quench it or quench the spirit. We light the candles of Advent as an act of faith and hope. Just like the early Jews, when they only had enough oil for one lamp, nevertheless, they lit it. And the gradual lighting of the Advent candles leads us to the Christ candle, the white candle. Our anticipation of his coming again is founded on the wonderful truth that he has already come once. Christmas celebrates he came once, Advent celebrates we have hope that he will come again. When I was growing up, the last Sunday of Pentecost, that is the Sunday before Advent, was known as Stir Up Sunday. And it was the sign for all churchgoers to stir up their rum cakes and fruit cakes in anticipation of Christmas dinner. The third Sunday of Advent would not have been enough time for the rum and brandy to have done their work. But now we have a slightly different prayer, the prayer, 
we have a stir up your power, and with great might come among us. David reminded me that in the, in the British prayer at the end of Advent, uh, Advent of Pentecost, was stir up your people. So we both need to be stirred up. Stir up your power, and with great might come, come among us. Did you notice how many Christmas carols have an invitation? O come, all ye faithful. O come, Emmanuel. Inviting people to come and inviting God to come so that we can be connected. He has come among us. We rejoice. He came to share our joys and sorrows and took upon himself our humanity. And yet, we still invite him to come ever more fully into our lives. There's such great readings today, aren't there? From Isaiah the prophet, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me. The anointed, the word for anointed is the word Mashiach, and from it we come Messiah. The Messiah is the anointed one. In those days, people wouldn't have thought, of course, electric lights or even candles. They were oil lamps. And so oil became rather synonymous with light. The Spirit of God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring light. In the book of uh, Thessalonians reading, it said, Do not quench the Spirit. When the Spirit came at Pentecost, how was the Spirit manifested? But by flames of fire on the heads of the followers of Jesus. And then we come to the John reading. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light. They challenged him and said, who are you? And he said, I am not the light, but I am here to point to the light. One of the translators has it this way. There was once a man whose name was John sent by God to point out the way to the life light. He came to show everyone where to look, who to believe in. John was not himself the light. He was there to show the way to the light. So how do we, like John, testify to the light? How do we welcome the Spirit and not quench the Spirit? I think it begins by knowing who we are. My personal theory about life is that we're all quite desperately insecure. And we spend a great amount of our energy on covering it up or masking it or covering it with a thin veneer of respectability. As Christians, we know that we need God. Lord, have mercy. Christianity is a religion not based on how deserving or worthy I am, but on a willing or even grudgingly acknowledgement that I am not worthy, but that God in his grace welcomes me. And we need to have conversations around that, not to pretend. We need to bring the light into our own darkness, and that's where it starts, to bring it into the world, to be willing to reach beyond ourselves and have conversations, especially conversations with those who see things in a different way or disagree with us. Conversations clarify and bring light. Francis, I love the story of Francis Collins, uh, you'll know the name. He's the director of the National Institute of Health, uh, one of our top scientists in the country. And he, he's a devout Christian and won the William Templeton Prize for Religion. 
In his, in his acceptance speech at the end, he, talked about, he ended by talking about his friendship with Christopher Hitchens, an, an avowed and aggressive atheist. They came together and developed a friendship, and Francis was able to walk with Chris, Christopher through his battle with cancer and be with him at the end. And Francis ended his acceptance speech by saying, I wish I had spent more time having conversations with those that I don't agree with. We so tend to get into our own little huddle of tribe where we feel safe and it becomes a kind of echo chamber. And so I think the light of Advent calls us forth into the world, calls us to be honest, calls us to take the step. We don't know where it will lead. I have found trying to institute or initiate conversations with those who see things much differently very frustrating, so much so that I think, is it worth it? Should I even try? But like the people who lit the one jar of oil at Hanukkah, I need to do it just because it's the right thing to do. Like the Messiah, we're, uh, we who are anointed are also sent, called to proclaim, to testify, to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring good news, to comfort. Did you know that in the eight candles of the menorah, the center one is a special candle called the shamash, and it's not lit on any one of the days of Hanukkah, but its role is to light the other candles. And someone pointed out that maybe God calls us to be like a shamash, to light other people, to bring words of encouragement and comfort. How is the light growing this Advent in your darkness? And how will you testify to the light that has come and is coming into the world? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.